Okay. There's a mitzvah in the Torah that every one give a machzus a shekel, a half a shekel every year. This mitzvah, most commentaries, most of the meineha mitzvahs, most of those rishonim uh, who um, record the mitzvahs and sort of explain the count of 613, etc., they derive this mitzvah from the verse at in the beginning of Parshas Kisisa, which is the end of um, Shemot chapter 30, where it's it, it, there it says that everybody should give a half a shekel. Now, in the context over there, it was part of counting the Jewish people. But the Psukim read, um, this is what they should give everybody who is over Alapkudim, everybody who gets counted. From 20 years and up, everybody gives a half a shekel, and then you use that, that, that money is then used for the service in the temple. Now, in practice, we're going to get a, in practice the way this was done in the time of the base Amikdash was that during the month of Adar preceding the sun, they that's when every all the Jewish people from out, throughout the land of Israel would give their half a shekel, and there were stations set up in various locations throughout the land for everybody to give their half a shekel and then there were messengers who were sent to give this money to to the base of Mikdash. and 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 the Rishchidosh Nisan is when they would trade him to Mesalishka that means Rishchidosh Nisan any money left over from last year was put away into a separate fund which had its use and from now on all communal sacrifices were purchased from the money that had just come in from this past month and that lasted for the for, for the whole for the whole next year we know that around Purim, this time of year we have what's called the dalat parshas there's four shabbosim two before purim and two after purim in which we read a special maftir from a second sefer torah and the first of them is parshas calling we did that last week shabbos where we read Parshas Kisisa this year, it actually worked out interestingly that it was literally the Parsha of the week before. We read Parshas Kisisa, then the following week by Yakel, from after we took out a second sefer to read four columns back, the first paragraph of Parshas Kisisa. And Rashi Megillah says that the reason we read Parshas Kisisa then it is based on when this mitzvah was applicable in the time of the Beis HaMikdash, that was a way of reminding everybody that now is the season for you to go and send your half shekels to the Beis HaMikdash. The Mishnah Brura adds an interesting point where he says that we, when we read Pasha Shkolim, it's Nesham Mepharim Sefaseinu, that there's the concept, which we're all familiar with from other parts of the prayer, that we say, we recite verses of the sacrifices, all the laws and the Mishnahists of the sacrifices, as a way of, in the words of the Prophet, purchasing bulls with our lips. So we, because we don't have the opportunity to actually bring Karbanas, so by reciting the Psukim, we accomplish that. So the Mishnah Buddha says that nowadays when we read Pasha Shkolim, it's not just like it used to be to remind everybody to send in the half a shekel, but the actual reading of Shkolim and the listening to the learning is a fulfillment thereof. In the Mishabura, there is no uh, tzion for this. There's no uh, source for it. So it seems as if the Mishabura is saying it on his own. However, I do believe that this concept can be found at least uh, um, implicit earlier. And uh, one source that I noticed was in the Sefer HaChinuch, in Mitzvah Kuvhei, Mitzvah 105. He says, Nowadays, when due to our sins, we no longer have a temple, nor shakalim, nor the chatzis shakalim. No, we call Yisrael lezeichar David. It's a practice of all Israel in remembrance of this mitzvah. Likrois beveisak neses bechol shana v'shana parshasu to read aloud in the synagogue each and every year this passage of the Torah. Shall we see some of the kachta kasef akipurim, kasef akipurim, etc. So. Um, so the Sefer Chinuch also seems to be implying that nowadays we read this parasha in the Torah, not just as it used to be as a reminder. Again, he doesn't... The way the Sefer Chinuch presents it, you would think that the whole parasha Shkolem was only instituted after the base of English was destroyed, but I think it's quite obvious that that's not the case, like we quoted before from Rashi and the Mishnah Megillah, which talks about the Dalit parashas, it seems clear that it used to apply already then. Be that as it may, nowadays there's sort of this dual purpose that the reading of Pasha Shkolim also in and of itself um, 
serves as a substitute to, or remembrance substitute to the mitzvah of giving a shakal, the half a shakal. Now, if you look at the psukim, so the Rambam, the, the psukim says, right? So everybody should give a half a shakal. Everybody gives the half a shakal. And then the puzzle continues, the rich person um, should not give more, or may not give more, and the poor person may not give less than half a shekel. Now, the Rambam, when he records this mitzvah, it's in Sefer Mitzvah, positive mitzvah number, Kufa Aleph 171, he records this as a positive mitzvah that everybody has to give a half a shekel every year. But, and that's it, he doesn't record any negative commandment that a poor person should not give less than a rich person should not give more. Other Maniha mitzvahs, for example, the Tashbits, uh, uh, Shimon Ben Samach, uh, Shimon Ben Samach Duran, yeah? Hmm. I believe, <laughs> yeah, um, I think 14th century, right? And also the Ramban in his commentary on the Torah, they record a positive mitzvah and a negative mitzvah. The positive mitzvah is give half a shekel. Negative mitzvah is Adal lo yamit. Poor person don't give less than a half a shekel, right? Um, so one thing we have to understand is why does the Rambam not record the negative mitzvah? Why does he only record it as a positive mitzvah, not a negative mitzvah? And um, perhaps understanding this will lead to further understanding in general of the, of the mitzvah and other ramifications as we'll get to. Now, interestingly, the Urayim, also a, a, a Rishon who's one of the Moneh mitzvahs, who counts all the mitzvahs, he, he skips this mitzvah. He doesn't count it as one of the 613 mitzvahs at all. Where did he get the other one from? Well, there's many, there's many Rishonim who count the mitzvahs and there's many variances between them. And, there's all the Rambam in his commentary in his introduction to the Sefer Mitzvahs has 14 what he quote we call Shoroshim, 14 principles which which he which he uses to determine what counts as a mitzvah and what doesn't because if you if you go through the Chumash and you count every time it it says to do something there's actually a lot more than 613 so so, so every, whichever way you cut it, there's going to be certain principles of what counts and what doesn't count, and different Rishonim have different approaches to it, and they all manage to get to the sum total of 613. I'll give you one example, which we're going to have to get to in a moment anyway. If you um, if you ever daven a base menachem on Shabbos, everybody knows, um, don't forget, after davening, it's don't forget the... What do we forget after davening? What? Uh, before that. Before the six remembrances, what else don't we forget? I don't know, I forgot. The special, the special reading for Shabbos, right? Don't forget the special reading for Shabbos, the six remembrances, right? What's the special reading for Shabbos? The special reading for Shabbos is a passage from the book of Ayukra, chapter 24, which is the mitzvah to put the lachem upon him, the 12 loaves on the table, on the, on the, what's it called? The the show, show table, whatever it's called. Yeah, the shulchan in the end. Uh, in the in the in the base hamikdash, and every Shabbos they would change the twelve loaves, right? So, if you read the psukim, it says you shall take flour and bake it twelve chalas, and then you should put them as two piles of six on the table, right? Now, that second verse of putting them as two piles of six on the table, that is one of the two hundred forty-eight passes of mitzvahs to put the lechem upon him on the table every 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 day. But there's another mitzvah before that: thou shalt take flour and bake it into twelve chalas, right? But that, that mitzvah is not counted as one of the 248, according to the Rambam, at least, right? Why not? So that's one of, in Shredish 10, in principle, in found, whatever it's foundational, in the, in the guidelines that the Rambam calls, in number 10, he says that a mitzvah that's purpose is another mitzvah doesn't count, right? So the, the, the mitzvah of taking flour and baking it is in order to fulfill the, the follow-up mitzvah, which is to put the bread on the table. So the, the, the mitzvah whose entire function is preparation for the following mitzvah doesn't count as one of the mitzvahs, right? Now, I, it's, it, we're going to get back to this. It's going to be very relevant to the whole discussion of a half a shekel as well. But for whatever reason, the Uraim doesn't mention half a shekel at all as one of the, uh, of the mitzvahs. Um, so now, like, interestingly... Do they, do they agree that there's like 90% of the mitzvahs are all the same? Yeah, 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 yeah,
Now, then there's the Reb Shimon Cerilio, who is most famous for his commentary on the Talmud, on Jerusalem Talmud, Talmud Yerushalmi. He was, I believe, seven, 17th century. He was originally in Spain. He was uh, expelled from Spain. He ended up, he spent some time in Turkey. And then he was in Sfas. I think, I believe he came to Sfas together with the Beis Yosef. He was a colleague of the Mechaber of the Rabbi Yosef Karo. So in his commentary to Pesach Tishkolim, he says, actually, the mitzvah of giving half shekel is not to be derived at all from the verse in the beginning of Pasha's Kisisa. That is talking specifically about the local mitzvah that I applied right at that time for Moshe, for all the Jews to give half a shekel to count them for the census. That was just that one time thing. The mitzvah to give half a shekel every year is derived from um, a few chapters earlier at the beginning of Pasha's Truma, where Chazal say, and Rashi brings that the, the Torah alludes to three different types of trumas, three different donations. So one of those donations is the, the annual half a shekel donation, which that, the, 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 the Rashi Rilio, he says that's the source for this mitzvah. And as we'll see soon, there is actually a halachic ramification to this, to, to this difference of where the source of the mitzvah comes from. Now, um, Okay, so let's just go through a couple of these variances. If you look at the Rambam in chapter one of Hilchah he says, it is a positive myth from the Torah that every person give half a shekel every year, and even a poor person who is mispanish but not he doesn't have a livelihood, he gets his livelihood from tzedakah, and he, um, yeah, and he, he has to go, go for begging arms, even such a person may not, is not exempt from half a shekel. Now here, we have the clue to why the Rambam doesn't count the Hadal Asher Liyar Hadal Yamit as a separate negative commandment. Because essentially the way the Rambam is understanding the Pasuk is that usually we have a principle, um, for example, the Ramah writes in Simon Tov Reishnon Vav in Shulchan Aruch, that a person is not mechuyiv to spend a hoin rav, a great wealth on a positive mitzvah. For a negative mitzvah, you would be obligated to give all your money. For a positive mitzvah, you're not obligated to give um, a ma- an, an, an enormous fortune. Okay, so there's different discussions, a third, a fifth, whatever it is. But the point is that Hadal Yamit, according to the Rambam, is not a separate negative commandment. Uh, the poor person shouldn't give less than half a shekel. It's a qualification to the positive commandment that this, this positive commandment is different from all other mitzvahs in that there's some sort of financial uh, limitation. Here, there is no financial limitation. Even if you're super poor, you're, you must give. Uh, half a shekel, and, and and similarly, the first half of the apostle that a rich person should not give more would be understood to the Rambam Lechera saying that even though you're very wealthy, so you might have thought, well, usually tzedakah, you know, how much tzedakah you have to give depends on how much money you have, so here that's an exception to the rule. So according to the Rambam, the negative commandment is not really a separate myth, so it's a qualification in the positive myth. It's part of the positive. Right, right. right. Okay. Now, you have to do this, and there's no limitation to this obligation. Right. As right. opposed to other times when As opposed, Right. Now, the uranium, we said, he doesn't count this mitzvah at all. Why not? So one suggestion is that, um, that remember we just brought the Rambam, that uh, taking the flower is not one of the mitzvahs? Well, perhaps uranium has a similar perspective on the half a shekel. The mitzvah is not to give half a shekel. The mitzvah is to bring karbonis on the mizbeach. You need money to buy to, to buy the carbonus. You need money to buy all the animals. So there's a mitzvah, just like there's a mitzvah to take flour and bake it to get the bread on the day on the shulchan. There's a mitzvah to take half a shekel and collect it into the into the into the treasury in order to be able to to to, to bring sacrifices, right? So here, right? What was I thinking? Well, you'll see soon that actually. It, 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 this is a perspective, and again, this is going to have uh, this is going to have good ramifications later on. Um, the way, one of the 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 question really boils down to, and we're going to get back to this. The question really boils down to is how closely connected are the two? In other words, is this is the intrinsic? Is sort of the definition of the mitzvah bring half a shekel to get karbanis, or is the definition bring half a shekel? Now, then, what are you going to do with the half a shekel? Okay, we'll use it for karbanis, but it's not intrinsically connected. And we'll see soon that it seems like the Rambam and many others have that second uh, approach to it. Um, yeah.
so so the, so the good question that's so not jewish right numbers no 600 so it's interesting the gemara says Jews not disagreeing it's not you know you know there, there's certain things which is so good that we could you imagine if there were like some community like had different calendars and some communities were doing pesach now and some people is a leap year or not leap year you know like there's so many like when is the schmitter year so we're keeping schmitter this year but there are opinions that are showing them that have a different count for when schmitter is right. Can you imagine if there was a different count? Some Jews would keep in Pesach now, and some people, I mean, Jewel would be going completely haywire, right? <laughs> so, so actually, the, the source in the Talmud for it is a, a it's interesting. You would think, like, you know, come on, there should be more than that. So, Gemara Makis that says, Torah Tzivilon Moshe, Moshe commanded us the Torah. The word Torah is Tuf is 400, Vav is 6, Reish is 200, and He is. So that's 211. And we know that the first two of the Ten Commandments, we heard all the Jewish people heard directly from God. So Torah, Tzivilon, Moshe, Moshe commanded us 611 mitzvahs. The other two we heard from Hashem. So 611 plus two, get out of your calculator, is 613. Uh, if I recall correctly, I can, don't, don't call me on this, but if I recall correctly, the Rambam, the Rambam talks about this. It, 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 it can't be that this, this whole sort of ec- very difficult exercise that so many of the Rishonim get into to determine exactly what are the 613 and what's the relevance of it, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, there should be more substance to it. If I recall correctly, the Rambam writes something along the lines of, this is tradition. The tradition is, that, and nobody disagrees with this tradition, funnily enough, that there are 613 mitzvahs. It's alluded to in that gematria, but obviously the the, 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 the source for it is much more uh, all-encompassing than that. Right. Okay. Now, in addition to reading the parsha of half a shekel before... Um, before before Rosh Nisan, other sorry, there is an additional custom, which is quoted by the Ramah in Simon Tovish Dalad in the laws of Purim and Tanis Esther, where he says that it is the custom, some say it is the custom that everybody should give before Purim a half of the fixed currency of that, of that uh, locale and that time, so in America he would give a half a dollar, um, as a remembrance to the Machtas HaShakal that they used to give in others. So again, the, 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 the Ramah is, is agreeing that the mitzvah doesn't apply nowadays on a biblical level in, a, in absence of a base HaMikdash, but as a remembrance to it, just like we said before, as a remembrance, we read Pasha Shkalim, as a remembrance to it, we all give half a shekel. Now here thing is where things get tricky, because the question becomes, okay, well, who, if, we do, if we're doing half a shekel for the remembrance, so who's going to give half a shekel? Well, half a shekel is going to be given by whoever used to be obligated to give it when it was an obligatory mitzvah. So who did this mitzvah apply to? So we have some... Sorry? Men ready for war. Oh, so Bob is saying that the Pasuk says, Kol al um, which anywhere in the Torah, whenever there's a census, is 20, to 20, 20 and up, with people who are, who are fit for war. So only people who are above the age of 20 should be obligated in the midst of Machzah And indeed, this is the opinion of many, um, many uh, Paskim, um, perhaps most famously the Sefer HaChinuch, where he starts off the mitzvah, mitzvah 105, where he says, the mitzvah is, Shayitin Kodachet Mi'isron Ben Esum Shon of Amayla, we commanded that every Jew who is 20 years or age of age or older must give, whether he is rich or poor, the value of half a shekel, which equal the weight of 10 silver gear each year, etc. Right? So that he right away qualifies it to applying only to people who are 20 and older. However, other Rishonim, and perhaps most notably the Rambam, says that this mitzvah, as, as do all other mitzvahs, applies to everyone over the age of bar mitzvah. Um, the Ramah, in Shulchanach over there, where he says that it apl- that the minag is to give half a shekel. So he starts off by saying, The obligation to give half a shekel before Purim is only for people who are 20 years and older. Um, 
And right away on the on the side of the Shulchan Aruch, you have the Morgan Avram, who says, well, actually, according to other authorities, even from the age of 13, would be obligated to give a half a shekel. Now, the Mishnah, the Mishnah says, the Mishnah says, also, the Mishnah explicitly says that women are exempt from a half a shekel. Now, there's some questions to why women are exempt from a half a shekel. Um, the most obvious solution would be like you said, that it's the, the count, the, the mitzvah machsa shekel was for anybody who was who goes into the count for, you know, who is fit to go to battle, etc. So, because women didn't go to battle, they were exempt. From this mitzvah. Now, if you remember, before we mentioned the opinion of the Rash Cerilio, he said that the mitzvah is not derived from the beginning of Pashas Kisisa, rather, it's derived from the beginning of Pashas Truma. Now, in Truma, there's no oh. qualification that it's only given by over Alaphudim. So, whether or not this mitzvah applies to, th- to, 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 to men between the age of 13 and 20 may depend on whether the source of the mitzvah is from Pasha's Kisisa, where it says, or from Pasha's Truma, where it doesn't say that. The question becomes, though, that everybody agrees that women are exempt from Shekel, because that's an explicit Mishnah. And of course, if you learn it from Pasha's Truma, why should women be exempt? Um, should be exe- why should women be exempt from it? It's interesting to note that in the words, which we usually translate as being anybody who, who's part of the count, who's fit to go to battle, etc. Um, in the Yerushalmi, uh, this is brought from the Yerushalmi in Shkalim chapter 1, Halacha Gimel, where there is an opinion in the Yerushalmi that says, no, means anybody who crossed the Yamsuf, which of course would not be limited to males, it would include women as well, right? Um, now, this opinion doesn't seem to be accepted as we said, women are exempt. It's just interesting to note, I, I was just thinking about this, that if you say, if you were to accept the, this interpretation quoted in the Yerushalmi, that means anybody who crossed the Yamsuf, then not just women, and not just boys over the age of 13, even infants, right? Everybody crossed the Yamsuf. So I didn't see anybody saying this, but it's interesting to note that in, in practice, the minig is, the Mishabur brings this, and this is indeed the common practice, that people give half a shekel, not just for themselves, but also for their wives, and not just for their wives, but even for all their children below the age of Bar Mitzvah. And not only for all their children below the age of Bar Mitzvah, um, the, the, the Mishabur brings that the minig is even to give for a pregnant woman, for the fetus. Right? This is, so we're giving for the sacrifice for the community, right? Yeah, nowadays it doesn't go to, to know, sacrifice. That, now it goes to yes. Nowadays we give it to the to the to, to the communal funds as right. a remembrance for that. But again, I'm I'm suggesting that it could be that the minhag and I didn't perhaps I should research this more, but just suggesting that it could be that the minhag that we have nowadays to give even for infants is in accordance with that opinion in the Yerushalmi that Kalaim means anybody who crossed the opposite. Just a suggestion. Anyway, um, the Meister, what we have here is that we know for sure that women are exempt from half a shekel. We know for sure that men above the age of 20 are obligated. And the question becomes, well, what about uh, men between the age of 13 and 20? And also, there's a machlaikus, whether kayanim, are kayanim and levim from the tribe of kayan and levi, from the tribe of Shep levi, are they part of the mitzvah machsashaka? And that's also um, a machloikis, a big machloikis. Well, in terms of a poor man's half day work, right? uh, how much is half a shekel? Is that like a half day work? Is it half an hour of work? Like, you know, like a lira it's a, a couple of years ago was like nothing. Like right. One hundred. Right. Um, I can't give you the exact price of a half a shekel. I could Google it. It's not hard to figure it out, but it's a certain certain, certain weight of silver, not very much. You know, a few grams of silver. I don't know exactly how much. Yeah. Um, it's interesting that the mitzvah to give a shlishu, the minimum, the minimum amount of stock that a person has to give, we've discussed this in the past, 
um, regardless of, the, of giving a 10% or 20%, is the mitzvah that nobody should give less than a macht, than a shlishis a shekel, than a third of a shekel every year. Now, it's also based because it's, the, shekel, the, the, the currencies changed. They added, the shekel became bigger. So in the times of the Nevi'im Achrenim, what was then called a third of a shekel was equal in weight to what was called in biblical times, machs shekel. So that's connected, right? Okay, now, here's where things get exciting. Because, Uh, should, yeah, I should mention also, there's the, there's the middle shitter, the Groz suggests the middle shitter, that there's two, there's, two, um, there's two aspects to the half a shekel. One is the mitzvah to give it, and one is the atonement that it accomplishes. So he says that mitzvah, the mitzvah so if you're 13, you have the mitzvah. But mitzvah, the atonement, there is, in, in, in certain contexts, there's this principle that below the age of 20, a person is not bar unchen, is not responsible, is not punishable. Um, from and so again for for yeah. There are certain there are certain there are certain places where we say that below the age of twenty, a person is not punishable, and so the atonement aspect of the machzor shakel doesn't apply to until the person is twenty. That's and then, anyway, that's how the girl deals with it, and and the um, Vice brings over here that from Rabbeinu Bechaya that even though the thirteen year olds were obligated to to bring half a shekel, but they weren't. You wouldn't be masking them. You wouldn't force them to give it until they were twenty. Okay. Now here come. Here's where things get exciting. In the Sefer Torah Tzimma, is uh, the original Baruch Epstein. He quotes from the Psalmim Rish. Now the Psalmim Rish is a very controversial Sefer. Um, beyond the scope, they can give a full class on the history of Psalmim Rish. But the Psalmim Rish was originally published as um, Shuvas of the Rosh, responsive from the Rosh. The Rosh was, is one of the most prominent uh, sources for Halacha, the father of the tour. And Musammim Reish was published a few hundred years ago. I don't, know, I don't remember offhand the date, but I, don't know, I guess about 500 years ago. Yeah, so um, it was published by Salman Reish, a manuscript that was discovered from, from the Rosh, from a student of the Rosh. And for many, many years, this was this sefer was considered a phenomenal sefer. It was quoted throughout the the, the, the scope of Jewish uh, response and many and, 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 and works. The Musamrish was heavily relied upon and quoted, etc. Um, what later became suspect and then evident that actually this whole Musamrish was a forgery um, written by uh, one of the Maschilim with a specific agenda. And uh, it's nothing to do with the Rosh or Talmud of his, and it's a very late uh, work. Nevertheless, you, <laughs> it, it becomes tricky because other things that were found to be forgeries usually were found fairly quickly. For example, famously, the Yerushalmi Kodshin, which was there was a certain Yehuda Friedlander who, I don't know if that was his real name or whatever, his pen name, but there was a certain Yehuda Friedlander who claimed to have discovered an ancient manuscript of the Jerusalem Talmud and certain tractates in Kodshin. Um, and, and the whole culture, anyway, but that was very quickly, relatively speaking, found to be a forgery. And so you don't find, uh, there's no sort of major halachic uh, history relying on the Yushan and the culture. It's not really, I mean, it's academically, it's a very interesting topic, but halachically, it's almost a non-issue. Whereas the Psalm Rosh, which, as we'll see, Rabbi Kivega and numerous other Gedele HaPaskim quoted and relied upon the Psalm Rosh, so what do you do now that you've discovered it's a forgery? Well, you can't just delete all these things. So the Psalm Rosh remains sort of, we always quote it and we always give the disclaimer while the Psalm Rosh, you know, snicker, snicker, but at the end of the day, we're still working with the Psalm Rosh, right? So Tzmimo quotes this Psalm Rosh as does Rabbi Kiv Eger. And he says a, fa a fascinating thing. He says, so, so, so women, women are obligated um, to pray. There's a discussion exactly what's women obligation in prayer uh, most Ashkenazi authorities rule that women are obligated to, play, to pray every day, shachras and mincha. Um, what do women do who have a, you know, running at home? Okay, we're not going to get into that right now. But that's, but the question becomes, and this is a big machlekes, what about Musaf? Are women obligated to daven Musaf? Says, says the Psalm Imrish, 
quoted here by the Torah Tzvima, and Rabbi Kivayga brings it in Shulchan Aruch in chapter Kuvav, which is where it talks about uh, women's obligation in prayer in general. And he says that women are not obligated to daven musaf. You know why? Because women didn't have to bring carbon musaf. They didn't have to give a half a shekel. Right? Where did the carbon musaf come from? Carbon musaf was purchased with a half a shekel. Women, it's explicit in the Mishnah, did not have to give a half a shekel. So if they didn't have to give a half a shekel, didn't, they, they, they weren't part of the carbon musaf. They weren't part of the carbon musaf. They don't have to daven musaf. When it comes to other tefillahs, shachas, and minchas, even though they correspond to sacrifices in the temple, but at the end of the day, it's a, it's a, it's a prayer. It's, a, you're, it's, it's not limited to that. It, it, it corresponds to that, but the prayer in and of itself is you're asking Hashem for all your needs. Of course, women also have, have needs and have to ask Hashem for their needs. Whereas Musaf, who is, it's clear in the Paschim and in, in the laws of Musaf, that it is exclusively for a substitute for the carbon Musaf. So women don't have to have Musaf. That's why, for example, if you miss Shachras, you have two Minchas. If you miss Musaf, you can't make it up, right? Because it's. So. The question then becomes, okay, if we're going to accept this premise of Rebiki Vega, you know, some Rish, whoever you want to attribute it to over here, right? If you're going to accept this premise, then the question then becomes, hold on a second, according to the Bartanura and the Chinuch and all the others, host of Paskin, who say that the, the mitzvah of Machsah only applies to a person over the age of, of 20, so um, below the age of 20, you don't have to have a Musaf. Right, so you could have um, a um, bar mitzvah boy, right? Often bar mitzvah boy, yeah, he's going to the lane and daven musaf. No, you can't daven musaf. You can't daven for the almut musaf. You could voluntarily do it on your own, but you can't lead the congregation in musaf before you're the age of twenty. Right, that's a that would be a tremendous, tremendous chiddush to say such a thing. Not only that, if you're going to, to take this argument to its logical conclusion, you would have to suggest that according to the opinion that Kohanim and Levim are exempt from Achtsa Shekel, so Kohanim and Levi also doesn't have to daven Musaf. Bob, you could leave earlier on Rosh <laughs> Right? We won't be left with a minion in Beis Menachem. <laughs> Everyone's Levim over here, right? Uh-huh. So, so what do you, right? So, so that, that's, again, it's a tremendous chiddush to suggest that, uh, that, that, that boys under the age of 20, teenage boys, are not obligated to have a Musaf, right? I mean, that would be a thing. And not only that, actually, one of the rais, one of the people who discuss this is the Sefer Amudi Oir, where he brings that, he brings a good raya. The Mishnah Megillah, famous Mishnah Megillah, talks about how the, it's describing the awesomeness of the experience of spending sukkahs in the base of Mikdash. And he describes how he used to go the whole sukkahs without sleeping because it was constant stuff happening, going from here to there to the Nisukhamayim to the Simch Pesasheva. And one of the things he lists, he says, from there we went to Davan Musaf. Now, who's talking over here? The author of this Mishnah is Rabbi Shur ben Hanania, who, if you look on Wikipedia, you will find out that Rabbi Shur ben Hanania was a Levi. So close, right? So now, if you're sure you daven Musaf, and remember, Musaf you can't daven as an adava. Shachras Mincha, you could do a voluntary prayer. You can't daven Musaf voluntarily, right? So if you're sure Ben was davening Musaf, so how could anybody suggest that Koyhanim are exempt from the mitzvah of Machsashaka? In other words, if you're going to accept this premise that that the obligation to daven Musaf is Directly linked to the obligation to give a half a shekel. Well, we know that the VM Davin Musaf in the, in the Mishnah Megillah, so obviously they have to give a half a shekel, right? Yeah. I was so looking forward to leaving early. <laughs> Did you want to get out of the half a shekel too? Yeah, right. I don't like being told I have to do something. I have to do it voluntarily. That's the principle of God Masulva Isa, right? That Rabbi Yosef was blind, right? Rabbi Yosef in the Gemara, he was blind. And he said that I used to say, um, I used to say that if I, oh, there's a Machloikas, in the Gemara, there's a Machloikas, if blind people are obligated to do mitzvahs. 
So he said, I used to say that if anybody would tell me that we pass and that blind people are exempt from mitzvahs, I would, I would throw a party and make a feast because now I know that I'll never be held accountable. Like again, basically I have myself covered. I have insurance that even if I make a mistake, it's fine. I'm blind, so you know I don't need to. I don't need to worry about it. But then he learned the principle of God that it's more valuable when you do an obligatory mitzvah than when you do a voluntary mitzvah. And then now I I changed and I go 180 degrees. Now I say no. I would throw a party if somebody would pass in that you are obligated to do, that a blind person is obligated to do the mitzvahs because now I have the opportunity to be mitzvah because like Bob says, it's always much more fun to volunteer something than when, than when there's an expectation of you, you're looking for excuses. When there's no expectation, you're like, oh yeah, I'm going to volunteer. And it makes me feel good about myself, right? <laughs> so it's a very uh, psychological here. Yeah. It probably okay. makes a lot of sense because I'm I'm deciding based on the goodness of my heart that I'm going to do this. Right. So that's right. a good premise, but it actually turns out that it's greater than. So this is a question which all the Achronim talk about to grapple with, and essentially what it comes down to is that there's three approach, three possible approaches to the mitzvah of Hafish of Machtzah Um This is the way this is the way I, I understand it. One approach is that the mitzvah of a half a shekel is nothing to do with the mitzvah of bringing carbonus. There's a mitzvah to give a half a shekel. And independently, the, okay, now we have communal funds. So one of the things that we need communal funds for is carbonus, so we're going to bring it for carbonus. Now, I'll just mention, you might, I saw before when I mentioned that Svar Ari made a face as if that sounds far-fetched, right? You think that that's far-fetched to say that the Mahusa the, Mitzvah, the definition of the Mitzvah of Machsa Shekel is completely unrelated to, um, to Kabbalahs. But I want to I wanna, I wanna sort of try and a little bit uh, prove or emphasize that opinion. First of all, we mentioned before the Rambam says that taking flour to bake the bread is not counted as a Mitzvah because it's just a preparation for the mitzvah of baking the bread. So then, and we suggested that that would be the reason why the Ureim doesn't count Machtzah Shekel as one of the mitzvahs, because, because it's just the preparation to bring Kabbalahs. Oh, well, in that case, why does the Rambam count Machtzah Shekel as a mitzvah? Right? The Rambam is the one who says that a preparatory mitzvah is not accounted. So why does the Rambam count Machtzah Shekel? So it must be that the definition of Machtzah Shekel, according to the Rambam, is nothing to do with right now if you look also at the words of the rambam both in um, both in sefer mitzvahs and also in the sefer Ayyad, in the, in the mishnah torah of the rambam it doesn't when he when he says what the mitzvah is let me see if i can find the text hold on Okay, in Hilchus Shkalim, chapter one, halacha one, the Rambam says, "Mitzvahs atayim in Atoyer Luton Kolishmu Yisrael Machtz Hashekel." It's a mitzvahs I say for every person to give a half a shekel every year. It doesn't say something to do with Kabbalas Tibur. And later on, in chapter four, so four chapters later, the Rambam says, "Okay, what do you do with Trumas Adishka?" Right. So when he defines a mitzvah, he doesn't mention a word about Kabbalas. It's only four chapters later where he starts telling you, "What do you do with the money?" He says, "Okay, you buy a Kabbalas with it." Similarly, in Sefer Mitzvahs, again in Mitzvahs, I say chapter Mitzvahs, I Kofai Nalef, Positive Mitzvah one seventy one. Again, the Rambam says the mitzvah to give half a shekel every year without mentioning a word about buying with it carbonus. Also, Rabbi Shavais points out very interestingly that where does the Rambam place the laws of Shkalim? Very interesting. He doesn't place it in the in the books Avodah Karbanis. He doesn't place it in the books that describe um, Karbanis. He puts it in the book of Zmanim. In the, in the book discussing the seasons, right? The reason he does that is because the, the season of half a shekel is in other. But if it's if it's intrinsically connected to Karbanis, surely it would make more sense to put it. Not only does the Rambam do that, go back to Rabbi Noah Kodesh. Rabbi, who was Masad of the Mishnah, and the six orders of tractates of Mishnah, where is tractate Shkalim? It's at the end of Seder Moed. 
which is the one that discusses all the seasons and holidays, not in the Book of Kachim, which discusses sacrifices. Now, another, now, if you take this approach, so you see, Ari, I think it was demonstrated that it's not so far-fetched at all to say that the definition of the mitzvah is not intrinsically related to bringing kabbalas. So, so then what is it then? It's a mitzvah to give half a shekel every year. To, to communal... And it just happens to go into... Yeah, then we, we use it for kabbalas. I guess you think this way because there's extra half shekels left over after the year that was given as communal funds, and then they drive it to something else. So it's not no, it was still just used for carbon, it was used for temple things, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. You, you could also ask the question we'll get to this. You could also ask the question about the other way around what if there weren't enough funds? Who would have to re replenish it? But, but, but we'll get that, we'll get to that in a moment. I just one more very important right now, if you say that it's not connected right so then the question of whether women or boys over the age of between age 13 and 20 or kaidim and levim have to dive a musaf and it becomes it's unrelated it's not connected to machas right now there's a very relevant rabbi vice points out a very strong raya which uh, to me this sounds like a very really strong proof in simon memzayin and shulchan aruch there's a discussion about whether women have to say birchas atayra. We discussed birchas atayra recently, right? A few weeks ago, we gave a class on birchas atayra. Right? Do women have to say birchas atayra? Now, why not? Because, well, the mitzvah of studying Torah doesn't apply to women. So do women have to say the bracha of Asher? Because the Shana, well, if they say Asher, bracha, why not do women have to say it? So the answer is that the Shachanah rules that they do, and they give two reasons for it. One of the reasons is that even though they don't have to learn Torah per se, they do have to say the parashas atomit. Yeah, I have to say the parashas, the, the, the verses from the beginning of parashas Tzav, next week's parasha, they do have to say that. So because they have to say that passage, because it's a communal sacrifice, they have to bring it, they're part of it, um, so so therefore they have to say it. So, and that's why they have to say Berich Zotera. Says Rabbi Shavais, if, if women have to say this because they're obligated in Tamid, then why should the Muslims be any different than the Tamid? Elamai, and this is going to lead us into the second possible approach, that that which is that um, which is that women <coughs> may indeed be. In other words, okay, just to clarify this. According to the first approach I just suggested, that half a shekel is not connected to Musaf. So what are we saying? That women are exempt from half a shekel, as as well maybe 13-year-olds in Levim and Kainim. But nevertheless, they still have to have a Musaf, right? So this fits very well. Just like women have to say, Parshish HaTamid. This fits with the same approach. Not yet the second approach, right? This fits with this approach. That just like women have to say, Parshish HaTamid, they have to have a Musaf. Either not obligated to do bring shekel, the two are the two are not connected. So that's a clear a strong proof against the those who say women are exempt from Muslim. Now that so that's one extreme. One extreme is Mahsa Shekel and the Karbanas are unrelated intrinsically. The other extreme is to say that they are they're they're exactly connected, which that's the approach of the Sabimarish, Bikivega, the Tirithima, and others. They say no. Uh, they are they are intrinsically connected, and anybody who's exempt from half a shekel would be exempt from carbon musaf. And I don't know how they would deal with the obligation of women saying this. Maybe they would reject that, and they would say that women have to say for the other reason given over there. Be that as it may, and they would yeah, and they would say that a thirteen-year-old shouldn't have for the for musaf. Mm. But then there's a middle approach. <laughs> and the middle approach could have two possible ways of uh, of saying this. You could say a simple way of saying this would be: Look, the two are not connected. Half a shekel is not connected to carbonus, mm -hmm. but nevertheless, when it comes to carbonus, are who's part of the carbonus? So. You could say, look, women 
women are not uh, obligated, right? So, so one approach is to say, look, women are not usually um, incumbent upon them to take care of communal affairs. That's that's the men's job is to take care of communal affairs. And so then you could start making a different, basically the point of the middle approach, uh, yeah. We have to sort of fine tune exactly what the middle approach is going to be. But the, the agenda of the middle approach is to find some ground to say that women are exempt from Musaf, and yet Kayanim of the and 13 year olds are still going to be obligated to Musaf. So how are we going to how are we going to make such a distinction? Right? Again, we've had one approach that says they're all, the two are completely unrelated and therefore everybody's obligated to Musaf. We have another approach that says they are intrinsically connected and therefore anybody who's exempt from it is exempt from Musaf. Now we're trying to find the middle ground because to say that women are exempt from Musaf is not doesn't sound so far fetched, right? There's no, it sounds much more far fetched to say that the Vim are exempt from Musaf, as we saw before the mission in Sukkah that's records of Khananya, uh, saying that. Right, so, how are we going to differentiate between Kainim and the Vim and 13 year olds on one hand versus women on the other hand? So, one approach is to say that it's just that women are not obligated in communal affairs at all. So this is not to say that women are not atoned for by the Karbanas. It's just not their concern. Versus Kainim and Levim and 13-year-olds who may indeed be exempt from giving half a shekel and um, for whatever reason, and possibly this is some sort of benefit that the current, you know, there's, we know that the current get benefits, they get the 24 different things, right? So this could be another benefit of, 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 of part of the perks of being a coin or a levy. Everybody has to give the money on their behalf, you know. But like I said before, I think the Kilisiak of the Stipler makes this point, I believe. He says, well, what would happen if the if it was if if the fund wasn't enough? It comes if there weren't enough shkalim in the thing, and now you would make a communal uh, uh, campaign. For, look, we, we have another few months of the year. There aren't enough half a shekels. He says everybody would have to give whatever they can, and the kainim and the vim would have to be part of that, as were the thirteen-year-olds, but women would not. So essentially the middle ground is basically saying that the middle ground is basically going to make the argument that everybody is atoned for by the Karbanas. The question becomes, what's your responsibility to chip in? And Women will have no responsibility to chip in. Kaidim and Avim may not have really an uh, um, responsibility to chip in, but they, um, but they're still part of the community. Women are, as a print, as a rule, exempt from time-bound positive mitzvahs. Now, it's difficult to suggest that half a shekel is a time-bound positive mitzvah, because even though the time to give it was in the month of Adar, that was in practice the way it was done. But biblically, it could be done any time during the year. But when you start talking about the kabbanis per se, well, the kabbanis are certainly time-bound mitzvahs, right? To bring the kabbanis of, so there you could say. So, so now that's another sort of. This is a second of the middle approaches, which would say, look. I don't even mind accepting that Karbanis and half a shekel are completely unrelated. And nevertheless, and, and, and they're still going to say, look, women are exempt from davening Musaf, not because they're exempt from half a shekel, they're exempt from davening Musaf because it's a time-bound positive mitzvah, versus Kainim and Levim and 13-year-olds, good, they're exempt from half a shekel, fine, but they, they, they still have to daven because men are obligated in time-bound positive mitzvahs. Personally, I'll just finish off with this, that to me, the argument that they're completely unrelated is the one that really resonates the most. First of all, I brought to you before 
the Raya from uh, that they have to say the parshas of Tamid every day. The fact that in defining the mitzvah, the Rambam both in Sefer Hayyad and in Sefer Mitzvahs doesn't say a word about kavanas, and both the Rambam and Rabbeinu Hakadosh place it in Seder Mayadir and Sefer Smanim. And I alluded to this before also that the obligation of tzedakah to give charity to the poor, the ramifications or the, speci- the specifics of that mitzvah are derived from the mitzvah of a half a shekel, which again, if the mitzvah of a half a shekel is intrinsically related to karbanas, um, then how could you then, what's the connection to poor people? Why, why would that teach us anything about the obligation of how much money you have to give to the poor? But if it's not intrinsically connected, so okay, so you're giving, it's about how much how much you have to donate every year. So fine, so we learn from that. If the poor, it makes more sense. So I personally, definitely resonates with me much more that approach, that the two are completely unrelated. But as I mentioned, even if you say that half a shekel and karbonus are not intrinsically connected, it still remains a doubt. So, so, so therefore, we can comfortably say that 13-year-olds and Kainam and Levim are equally obligated to Davin Musaf as are any of the other Jewish of their other Jewish male counterparts. Um, but it still remains questionable whether women are obligated to Davin Musaf because it's a time it's a time bound positive mitzvah. Now it's interesting that uh, in practice it's funny because in practice in Shukhanarch again most Paskim most Ashkenazi Paskim hold that women are obligated to Davin Chakrasim and Chem every day. Nevertheless, in practice, there are many very uh, otherwise religiously devout women who don't daven every day, and various justifications have been suggested for it, but the reasons are obvious. Constraints of running a, a home with kids, etc., make it very difficult to do so. Yet, it is more common for women to daven Musaf because uh, on Shabbos, many women come to shul on Shabbos, especially nowadays where it's Almost all cities have an Eruv, so it's like become part of the routine that women come to shul. So a lot more women are davening Musaf on Shabbos than the davening Shachas Amincha throughout the week, which, at least in, in the abstract halachic world, is a little bit topsy turvy. Okay, once a month it's special, so they'll make an effort to say Halal and Musaf on Rishchodesh, even though it's much more important for them to daven Shachas Amincha than to say Halal and Musaf, because Halal, certainly women are exempt as a time-bound positive mitzvah, and even Musaf, according to many Paschim, um, women are exempt from. But um, but anyway, that's uh, that's that's life, that's part of uh, Jewish practice. Women are chayav on both uh, Shachas and Mincha? According to most, uh, as far as I know, according to most, the Mechabra says they have to daven one tefillah a day, but I believe uh, most certainly without the Rebbe. And uh, if you look, there's a book in the library um, called Women's Halacha, Women's Prayer. I forget the name of the book, but something along those lines from the famous and according to some people, infinite, infamous Rabbi Malamed. Um, <laughs> yeah, you followed that whole controversy. But anyway, but it's a, it's a book in English. We have it here in the library. And it's a whole book of women's prayer. And he says that, look, ideally women should definitely be davening Shach HaSamincha every day because that's what most positive hold. But, uh, you know, again, he, he goes through the, 